Heavenly Father, we bow before you in this hour and we echo again, blessed be your name. We have come into the house of the Lord to praise you. We come, Lord, uh, determined to, if we didn't enter with a joyful heart, to leave with a joyful heart. Determined to meet with you and be reminded that you are a great God and that your great love is given to us over and over again in many ways. We are grateful today simply to be with sisters and brothers in Christ, to say hello, to hear your word open, the song sung, to pray to you and praise you in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Hear our prayers, O Lord. Meet with us today. Father, as we gather, we are mindful of a world around us, a world torn by strife and division and war. We pray for those, Lord, who are overseas. We think of the families who this week have lost loved ones through various on various battlefronts. We ask that you might comfort them. We pray, God, for missionaries that serve you valiantly around the world, warring against evil in all kinds of places, and we pray that you might strengthen them on this day. We pray, Father God, that you might be with the leaders of our nation and the leaders of the world, and we commit ourselves anew this day to praying for them. Father, we're particularly aware of those who have struggled this week with physical problems. We ask for your encouragement and your healing. We pray that you might give great faith to all those who are struggling. We particularly mention Daryl and Sarah and Ralph and Marcy and others, Lord, who have, uh, have been struggling and continue to struggle. We think of Ed as well. And we ask for great encouragement to come to them this weekend as they uh, seek your face. Father, as we put forth the question, why today, speak to us. Why is there a church? What on earth are we trying to do? Teach us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from the second chapter of Acts, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Why church? I suppose to get a thoughtful answer, we could go to Fuller Seminary and ask a professor what her opinion was, why church? Or we could do what is so commonly done in our society, we could do an opinion poll, we could do some research and ask a selected number of random sample of people and say, why church? And we could report out their responses. I'm sure also today I could ask you the question, why church? And we could share answers to that question. We could do what is often done. We could buy some books that seek to answer the question, why church? Actually, we can do no better than going to this book, to answer the question, why church? And a key passage in this book is in Acts chapter 2, if you care to follow along, or perhaps if you have the uh, sermon note sheet, you can pull that out. In fact, let me encourage you to do that today. 
because on that are the scriptures that we're going to look at that Ted just read to you a moment ago, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following. To look to the book of Acts is to look to the history book of the New Testament. And I would like to go to that passage that really gives us a pristine view of the early church. I don't know if you've been at the Huntington, but you can imagine that place or any other museum. And one of the fun things about going to a place like that is I love to go through the Huntington Mansion or some other place like that, and you'll see a room now and then, and you hear that this was the bedroom or it was the living room. And you stand there looking around, realizing it's somewhat changed, but you try to say, what would it have been like to live in this place at that time? And the museums do that for us. They allow us to go back in time, in sense, and capture a little bit of the essence of what it was like then. And in the book of Acts, as we come to Acts chapter 22, it's a bit like going to a museum. We can go back to that first church, and I want to ask the question here, what were some markers in that first church? If we had been a part of that community of faith, that new community, what would it have been like? And so this morning, very briefly, I want to identify some of those markers in that first church. And before we put forth an answer to the question, why church, let's look at the first known church in Scripture. Now, I know some talk about the church in the Old Testament, but most of us would agree that Jesus said, I will found my church, I will build the church, and we celebrate the birthday of the church on Pentecost Sunday, which will be one month from today, the first Sunday in June. And so this is the first gathering of the church, as we understand it, after Pentecost. Now, in verse 42, let me read that scripture to you again. It says, they, who are they? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. Who are they? Well, if you had a chance to read the earlier verse... Simon Peter on that day stood up and preached to thousands of people. And as he preached the word of the Lord, he told them about Jesus who had died, been raised back to life, who was indeed the Messiah. And the people said, what should we do? And he said, you should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And so they believed and were baptized. And verse 41 says, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so the they are the people who had been believed, had been baptized, and they were now added to this new community. Now, what is the first marker that they did? Back to verse 42, when you look on your note sheet there, it says they devoted themselves to what? The, the apostles' teaching. So, fill in that blank, if you would. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the didache of the apostles. Now, we're not going to go too far into this, but I was wondering to myself, well, what did the apostles teach? And if you were to go over to two chapters in Acts chapter 4, it says that the apostles were teaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This man who was killed here in Jerusalem is now alive. They also taught in chapter 5, verse 42... That Jesus was the Messiah. In chapter 15, verse 35, it says that they taught the word of the Lord. And in chapter 18, it says that the apostles taught the word of God. They taught about Jesus. And so one mark of this new community, that first church of Jerusalem, is that it was a teaching church. 
A second mark, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and what? Fellowship. Koinonia. This is a huge word in the New Testament, and it means literally to give or to share. If you hang around a church at all, you'll hear about koinonia or fellowship. Now, let me tell you, first of all, to get rid of some myths, because we misuse this word abundantly. Fellowship is not when we gather around coffee in a few moments and one guy says to another guy, what about those Lakers last night? That's not fellowship. Fellowship is not when, and assuming it's ladies doing this today, I know it's not always, assuming the ladies are cleaning up after the coffee and one lady says to another lady, your daughter looks so cute on Easter Sunday morning. That's not fellowship. Well, what is fellowship? Well, in Acts chapter 2, in verses uh, 46 and 47, listen as I read these words, because this is fellowship, as it was in the New Testament church. Every day, they, that's those people who had believed and been baptized, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with with glad and sincere hearts. Now, in verse 45, I started too late. In verse 44, actually, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Underline that word in common in your notes because that's the word fellowship. They shared everything. I know it makes you uncomfortable. I'm just reading the Bible. That's fellowship. Then in verse 45, they sold their property and possessions to give one to another to everyone who had in need. That's fellowship. Now, when a woman in our church hears of somebody who needs a place to stay and she opens her home to that person and shares her home, that's koinonia, as it was done in the first church. We have a fellowship offering. We emphasize it on Communion Sunday. And we say, would you be willing to give something extra above your normal gifts? And that goes in a special fund managed by the board of deacons. And it's, it's to help out with needs in the church. And last year, in 2005, the church gave remarkably to help Rachel and Andrew as they went through their long battle with leukemia. And so you fellowshiped with them. You bought them groceries. You paid the light bill. You paid the rent. You paid for gas. You paid for the, the very necessities of life. That's koinonia. And a mark of the first church was fellowship, koinonia. Now, there's another mark. I already read it. <laughs> uh, that's worship. They worshiped together. The Bible says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And then in verse 47, it talks about the people praising God in the temple. Now, there are two words, if you like to take notes, that I'd like you to jot down. And the first word is private. Private. The second word is public. Because right here in this very brief passage, you'll notice that they worshipped in their homes together. There was private worship. They might worship by themselves. They might sit down over a meal and worship God. And there was public worship. They went to the temple and they worshipped God together. So there was both private and public worship. Now, another mark of that church is found in the very end of the chapter, and that's growth. Growth. In verse 47, it says, God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, some people get nervous when you talk about growth in the church. They've obviously not read the book of Acts. 
Because in chapter 2, it says there were 3,000 added on that initial day. In the next chapter, chapter 4, it says the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. I'd love to have 5,000 men at First Baptist. (laughs) And then it says in chapter 5, the crowds gathered together. And then in chapter 6, it says in those days, the numbers of disciples was increasing. So a marker for that early church was growth, exponential, rapid growth. It grew. And then the last word I want to underline, to go back to verse 42, is the word devotion. Because this whole section starts by saying they were devoted. What would it have been like to be a part of that church? My friend, it would have knocked your socks off because they were a passionate group of people. They were devoted. To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to worshiping God. They were devoted. John Stott, in writing about this word, calls this group of people tenacious people oriented toward a specific goal. What were they tenacious about? Teaching, fellowship, and worship. Now, I realize I haven't answered our question, why church? But these markers help us understand what that very first church was doing. And this morning, I want you to keep them in your mind as we think about the question, why church? Now, one way to answer the question would simply be to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, why church? And to remember his words that I will build my church. Or, at the end of that book of Matthew, to remind us of the words, Jesus also said that the church would go into the world to make disciples. This morning, I want to ask you to continue thinking about me, with me, as you think of these markers. Why church? What on earth are we here for? Let's continue our worship. Linda Cooper, why don't you come up here with me? I'm lonely. While she's coming up here, did you hear what happened in Sunday school today? The Sunday school teacher was uh, talking to the students, and the teacher said uh, to the little group, uh, well, tell us about your family. And one little guy raised his hand. She said, well, go ahead. And he said, well, I'm, my family is just one big happy zoo. And she said, zoo? And he said, yeah. You see, mama is daddy's little deer, and baby sister, she's mama's lamb, and brother is just dad's kid, And my dad, he's just an old goat. Anyhow, let's move on. Not a good joke, huh? Linda, I hear you're leaving us. I just want you to know, uh, I'm a slow learner or something. I didn't realize that Linda's been talking about finding work here in L.A. or in New York City. And it looks like she's moving back to New York City. This may be her last Sunday. She may be back next Sunday, may not. But So I wanted to say thanks for your service here, Linda. We will miss you and want you to come back to be with us. So... The Lord bless you as you go. Be sure and greet Linda. Yeah. Amen. As Joyce and I have joined First Baptist and get, gotten to know the family the past uh, couple of years, Linda has been one of those persons that has helped us to feel exceptionally welcome. I want to continue talking to you about the church. Why church? And I'm very excited today. It probably is a much bigger day in my mind than I could expect it to be for in yours, but you'll understand why I'm excited in a moment. Uh, Ever since I've 
come to First Baptist Church, people have said to me, well, what's the vision? And I do feel like a complete idiot because I say I have no idea. And I don't. Now, I could blow up some big convoluted scheme and say something, but I really don't know. But uh, a number of months ago, perhaps six months ago, the board and I began to pray, and as we've talked to Bill Hoyt, who's been our consultant in terms of uh, our church, we put together what we call the Ministry Mapping Team, MMT. And that's a group of people that the board decided would be helpful in this process. And in January, we began meeting with Dr. Bill Hoyt to talk about what is the vision of the church, what's the purpose of the church, what are the values of the church, what do we believe? And we spent time uh, before the meetings reading our Bibles and praying and doing the homework. And then we spent about 30 hours, seriously, in those three months, about 10 hours a weekend for three different weekends, gathering together to talk about our church. And this morning I'm beginning a series that's going to be at least 10 messages on key beliefs for life. And these are really going to be shared with you the results of the MMT process. What do we believe? What are we trying to do here? Why First Baptist Church Pasadena? And this morning I'm especially delighted because the first thing I'm going to share with you today is why church? And I don't want to answer it in some global sense. I want to answer it in terms of what does it mean for you and me? And so this morning I really want to urge you to pull out that uh, note sheet Because I don't care if you never take notes or not, that's your business. But today I'm going to hound you. I expect you to take notes on that back page, okay? Write it down. I'm just going to give you a couple of words to write in the blank here. But on the back page of that note, the note sheet, the back half, um, we're going to talk about why First Baptist Church exists. And I'm very excited about uh, sharing this with you today. The key beliefs for life, and I think they begin with why we exist as a church And here's the way I'm going to put it. First Baptist Church exists to make followers of Jesus. And the first thing you should put in there is the word followers of Jesus. In Jesus' last words as recorded by Matthew, Jesus said to the apostles, Go into the world and do what? You all know it. The seminary students know it. Does anybody? Come on now. You all know it, right? I mean, you're in a Baptist church. Go into the world and what? Make disciples. So, you know, this isn't real creative work, but uh, it is what we said. We are here to make followers of Jesus Christ. Now, we were particularly determined, and since there were some seminary types there, uh, Bill and I were particularly determined, and we all covenanted together, we will not use church words. So we didn't say disciples, or redemption, or eschatology, or sanctification, or all of those big type words. We said we don't want that in any of our language. We want to talk like Jesus. We want to use street language, common language. And so we worked very hard to have uh, regular words there and not church words. And so the statement begins, we are here as First Baptist Church Pasadena to make followers of Jesus Christ, period. There's not a period there, literally, but but that's primary. We are here to make followers of Jesus Christ. And so, for us, this is foremost. It's number one, numero uno. It's what the local church should be doing. Why? Because Jesus said so. And we could go to a number of other scriptures about this. It's not a debatable point. Jesus said to go and make disciples. And He established the church with that as a primary reason for its existence. 
to bring the kingdom of God, to, to establish the kingdom of God, to do kingdom work here on earth through the local church. And so that's how we begin. We are here to make disciples or followers of Jesus. Now, you can say, well, what are those followers supposed to do? <laughs> we spend a lot of time talking about words and praying and trying to find just the right word. And I suppose in reality there is no just the right word. But here's where we landed. We are here as followers of Jesus uh, to make followers of Jesus who love God. Now, some folks are going to be struggling a little bit. Well, Steve, do we really make disciples? Isn't that God's work? Well, we understand that nobody can convert a heart but Christ. The Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. We know that. The Holy Spirit's work is regeneration in the heart of a person. We know that. It's through the power of God that a person passes from darkness into light. We know that. It's only through God that our sins are forgiven. We know that. But nevertheless, Jesus did say, go make disciples. So we're simply borrowing his language that we are to make disciples. Now, Jesus didn't say, think about it. He didn't even say, pray about it. He didn't say, try to do it. Or if you find time, occasionally do it. Or anything else like that. Jesus said, like Nike, do it. Make disciples. And so we put that foremost, and I'm glad that we did, in our purpose statement. The purpose of First Baptist Church is to make disciples who love God. Now, when we use the word love, that's an easy word to use. We're, of course, thinking of loving God. That's the vertical relationship. But we also were very mindful of what John says when he writes, Whoever says, I love God, but hates another believer is a liar. People who don't love other believers whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. So when we talk about loving God, we're not talking about some holy huddle that excludes other people. Because we understand as lovers of God, we are to love one another in the household of God, and we are to love all God's creation because God does. And so it's a big word. And we don't just mean only focusing on God, because if we focus on God, we're also going to be focusing on the world, which God loves. So, how are we doing? Right now, we've got a part of the statement done. The purpose of First Baptist Church, or we exist, to make followers of Jesus who love God, and the next word to put in is who worship God. Who worship God. That's a huge word as well. And it's the mark of every legitimate church. They are worshipers of God. Now, again, there was a lot of discussion that went on about this, and uh, one of the fine members of our team was Joanna Zito. And, Joanna, come up and share with us, what do we mean when we say worship God? Well, as we started to talk about worship, and I was thinking about it on the way here today, reflecting on all that we learned, I remembered that everyone in Pasadena knows how to worship. In fact, everyone in Pasadena, whether they're believers or they're not, we are worshiping on a daily basis something. We're either worshiping our cars, or perhaps we're worshiping our careers, or maybe we're worshiping a relationship or our status in life. But as Christians, we know that our ultimate worship is to be directed toward our Savior, But what does worship really mean? Think about that for a minute. 
Now, some things may be coming to mind, like the praise band. We come and we sing together. And as we were singing today, I noticed that etched up here it says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. And over here it says, For it is good to sing praises unto our God. And when we come together on Sunday mornings for corporate worship, that is worship. But as the ministry mapping team was thinking, we decided that worship is also something much more. Worship is an opportunity to give glory to God in all that we do. In fact, worship is our response to God. And when I think about a response, I think I'm going to respond because, well, something has already been done, right? You don't just respond out of nowhere. And a few weeks ago, we celebrated Easter in this church, and we had several services. And I have to tell you that I have never been more touched at a series of Easter services than I was in this very church. And the reason was because I experienced the Savior. And I was reminded that Jesus came to this earth for me. And he freed me of all of my sins. I have so many. And he forgave me. And that act of Jesus coming down in love in, is the act that we respond to in our acts of worship. See, worship isn't about me. I make it about me sometimes. I make it about my career. I make it about my home. But it's not. Worship is about God. Remember that song that we sing here? I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. So the ministry mapping team was talking about this. And we remembered that worship is about all that we do. In fact, worship is our loving response to God in all that we are and all that we do all the time when we do it right. Mm. Thank you, Joanna. I wonder if you can say it with me yet. Uh, First Baptist Church exists uh, to make followers of Jesus who love God, who love, worship, and the last one is serve God. Serve God. So let me put it together for you and there will be a test. Uh, First Baptist Church, Pasadena exists to make followers of Jesus who love God Worship and serve God. I threw one too many gods in there, I think. But uh, you understand. Now, J.R. was on that team. Who else is here? Just stand up. We want to acknowledge you. Uh, some people are out of town, I know. But Lisa and Mike and others who are on our ministry mapping team, would you stand up a minute uh, so we can gawk at you? Cindy and others, yeah, thanks for your hard work. Uh, 30 hours plus with the pastor. Can you imagine? It's a nightmare. But, amen. J.R., you were there. Come up and tell us what it means to serve. It's a good, I think it's a good question. That uh, What does it mean to make followers of Christ who serve God? What does that mean? Well, I think as, uh, as followers of Christ, we serve God by serving others. And I think that that's the key to, uh, to service and to the serving of God. Um, there is something about service that's both horizontal and vertical, of course. Service is certainly an act of worship. 
Uh, it is certainly a way of, of recognizing uh, God. But it is also horizontal in nature. It is also about our relationship with one another. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are probably at least 21 one another sayings in the New Testament. Insightful observations about how we are to relate and care for one another. And um, it's really interesting. It says that we're to love one another and to bless one another through the teaching of the word and through support and encouragement. And that we're to watch closely for those who may be struggling and provide guidance and care for them. That's serving other people. However, if we're truly to serve God by serving others, then we cannot limit our service to these four walls, to the body alone. It says in Acts that we read this morning, it says that they gave to anyone who needed. And then the last thing we read is that the Lord increased their number daily. Well, if they were giving to anyone who needed, and if the Lord increased their number, I've got to believe that when they gave to anyone, it just wasn't to those who believed. It was to those who needed. And in the giving was witnessed Christ. And in witnessing Christ was growth. So if we're truly to serve God, our commitment to serving God by serving others must find its way through the doors of the church. They're right out there on the other side of the narthex. And into the community. And into our, and in our case, into an urban community. A diverse community both spiritually, socially, and ethnically. When we commit to serving God beyond our doors and into the community, we become a powerful witness to our conviction that Jesus Christ can change lives. There's no way the community can know we believe that until we carry Christ into the community, until we serve the community. Serving others is serving God. When we enter into relationship with our community, when we help those in need of help, when we serve, we make Jesus available to the community. Each person out there who needs something, a hand, a friend, a meal, every time you give, every time you make Christ available to them, when you serve them, you make Christ available to them. And when you do that, I believe you take the first step towards accomplishing our purpose at First Baptist Church of making followers of Jesus who in turn love, worship, and serve God. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, J.R. <clears throat> First Baptist Church exists, can you do it yet? To make followers of Jesus who love, worship, and serve God. Now, as we talked about this, um, this for us passed a number of tests. And I'm excited today because there are lots of tests this thing had to go through, at least in our mind, about this. For example, the Bible test. Does this actually say what the Bible says? Is it consistent with biblical teaching? We think the answer is yes. Uh, it passes the memory test. Can you memorize it? Yes, I think you can. And it's going to be expected. I hope a year from now, if you're in a conversation with somebody and they say, where do you go to church? And you say, you go here. 
and they say, well, what's your church about? You'll say, our church is about making followers of Jesus Christ who love, worship, and serve God. That's what we're about. So it passes the memory test. It passes the Starbucks test. What is that? Well, that means if you're sitting at Starbucks on your computer surfing the Internet, folks do, you know, and you're looking at websites and you come on our website and you read our purpose statement, you say, oh, I understand what they're about. It's in plain English. So it passes the Starbucks test. And then the, the last one really, I can't answer. Does it pass the will or the devotion test? Remember, in that first church, it says they were devoted. They were passionate. They were excited about what God was doing in this new community called the church. And I hope that as we go through this mission, vision, and values these next ten weeks, that you will become increasingly excited about what God can do with any group of people that are committed to Him, that love Him, that worship Him, and that serve Him. Now this morning, we are gathered on the first Sunday of the month at the Lord's table, and I want to transition now to prepare ourselves for communion, for the Eucharist, to celebrate together. And I remind you that the early church regularly celebrated what we're celebrating today. In fact, they celebrated the Lord's table in their homes. They broke bread together all the time and celebrated what Christ had done through his death, burial, and resurrection. Well, let me transition with another question. Do you love the church? Now, when Steve talks about the church, I almost never am talking about something out there. I'm talking about us. First Baptist Church, Pasadena. Because essentially the only church in the New Testament is a local, visible church, a body of believers. That's what we believe as Baptists. The word church is not about something out there we're going to see by and by. It's about a local assembly of believers, us. So let me ask the question again. It get a little tougher, didn't it? Do you love the church? Well, you don't have to answer out loud. I hope you do. But I know it's hard to love the church because Steve's a member of it. That's the first barrier. And sometimes it's not so easy to love Steve. And then there's another reason the church is hard to love. You're a member of it. Same story, you know. So it, it, it's tough. Do you love the church? And I want to leave that question just hanging and read a scripture. Jesus loves the church. Listen. Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. I'm reading from Ephesians 5. Christ did this to make the church holy by cleansing it, washing it using water along with spoken words. Then he, Jesus, could present it to himself as a glorious church without any kind of stain or wrinkle, holy and without faults. Now this morning as you come to the table, I'd like you to think about the church, the local church, and whether or not you love it. And not only to think about the local church, but to look forward to that day when Christ will present his church to the Father, present his church in heaven, and what are we going to look like then? Let me read it backwards, not completely, but it ends by saying we're going to, we're going to look like we're without faults. No faults. Can you imagine this group of people? No faults. Without wrinkle. He's not talking about old people, is he? Holy. Holy. It's going to be a beautiful, glorious church that Christ presents in heaven. You're going to be there, and I'm going to be there. Do you love the church?
Jesus loves the church so much that he gave his life for her. And this morning, as I invite you to this table, I encourage you to uh, reflect on that. Those of you who are serving communion, if you'll come forward now and Hazel and join me, I want to do something that's a little bit um, different. And if you help me out, this will work marvelously. If you don't, we're going to spend about eight uncomfortable minutes. It's your choice. What I'd like to do is we're going to... Go ahead and be seated. We're going to serve you communion and... uh, do it the traditional way. You remain seated where you are. We'll give you the bread, and we'd like you to hold that bread, and then later the cup and hold the cup, and Hazel or I will lead you as to when to take that. While you're being served, here's what I'd like to see, or hear. I'd like for you to stand up and give a short story, I mean short, a short story about what the church means to you. And what I'm thinking of is there are all sorts of ways which the church has made a difference in your life. It's impacted you for good. And if you could just share that story in a minute or two with us, uh, that would be wonderful. For example, I'll get you started with a couple of stories. One time when Joyce and I moved across country, um, we had a piano. One of our sons was taking piano lessons. We had no way on God's earth to get that piano off the truck. We moved from Dallas, Texas to Chicago. We didn't know a soul. And we got everything unloaded by ourselves, but Joyce just couldn't help me get that piano to our second floor flat. And I thought, what are we going to do? I could just turn it in and leave it in the truck. What I did was to drive down the street to the local church, happened to be Elgin Bible Church, and I said to the secretary, I've got this huge problem. Could you help? She said, sure. And the next day at the appointed time, all these guys showed up, moved the piano into our apartment. That's the kind of stories we're looking for. How has the church... uh, blessed your life. And so, in just a moment, Jr. there's a handheld mic there, I think, near you. And if you'll just take that, we'd like you to use the mic. If it cuts out, just move slightly and you'll be all right. And uh, share these stories. Hazel, would you uh, word our prayer for a moment as we prepare for this moment and we'll serve you the bread. Lord, we thank you so much for everything that you do for us. And we thank you that you loved the world so much that you gave your son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you that Jesus was willing to come to to earth to die on the cross for our sins. And as we partake of this bread, may it strengthen us spiritually as we think of all the implications of what we are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.